Menace Nation. It's Menace Morning Time. Wake them up. Wake them up. Wake them up. Wake them up. I don't do the most, but I do a lot. Tryna hide from the camera. I'ma make a toast, cause we still alive. I ain't going outside today. No big. Couldn't find our tick. So I'm drinking on egg today. I feel like Pac. I'ma put up a star. We gon' do a drive by in the rain. Shoot the shot. I'm coming in. It is Friday, November 26th. We are almost in 24-hour mode for the rivalry game, the greatest rivalry in all of sport. That's what Urban Meyer used to always say. He would say, and, and it's, it's absolutely valid, the greatest rivalry in all of sport, not all of college football, not football, not this country, in the history of sport, every sport, every era, this is the greatest rivalry of them all, and, and it is upon us in 24 hours. An interesting uh, side note is, is it obviously is a top five matchup, probably the most one of the two most important games in the landscape of college football. And, and uh, Chris, as we start the show, I, I just was telling you, I went to ESPN and uh, pulled up the, the college football weekend, looking for maybe a Bowling Green Toledo, you know, a game <laughs> that would be fun to talk about that maybe is not on everyone's radar. Mm -hmm. And uh, Bowling Green plays Ohio University, by the way, so that's not one of them. But I did notice they have a link next to every game, right, from Vivid Seats, where it, it'll tell you, like, tickets as low as $7 to see TCU at Iowa State. Which one, if I'm a name's Iowa, shit, I'll drop seven bucks and go watch a college football game, right? Absolutely. Even with the fees, that's like 10 bucks. <laughs> yeah, right? Like even with taxes and fees right. and delivery surcharges to get you get an email, it's like 10 bucks. <laughs> uh, first, first and foremost, if you want to go see a game at Texas, Kansas State at Texas, tickets as low as $4. $4. <laughs> the cheapest slate on the menu. I mean, Louisiana Tech at Rice is also $4. Like, that's the lowest I saw. So you could go to a game at the University, University of Texas, Texas for $4. And it's it probably won't be that cold. I don't have the weather forecast for Texas pulled up, but. Yeah, I mean, I mean, yeah, maybe there's, is there like a, a tornado warning? Like, why $4? <laughs> but, but it's just crazy. Like, you look, Georgia, Georgia Tech, tickets as low as $81, right? Uh, mm. let's put Florida State, Florida. Big rivalry game in the swamp. Tickets as low as seventy nine dollars. Right, that's pretty run of the mill. Around you know for huge games like Alabama Auburn, one tickets as low as one hundred fifty seven dollars. So you know getting up there. And these are obviously their cheapest seats that that is on this website, right. Vivid Seats. Uh, but most of them like outside of Alabama Auburn's one fifty seven, and then uh, South Carolina Clemson because it's at South Carolina and South Carolina has a great shot of beating Clemson for once uh, is one forty seven. But then there's the biggest two games of the weekend. Obviously, Ohio State at Michigan is the highest ticket on the menu. Tickets as low as $268. That is nosebleed, cheapest seats in the building, $268 on secondary market. And then let me, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State is $252. So you, that, that's it. Or if you want to go see uh, Notre Dame Stanford, it's $30. 30 bucks. <laughs> <laughs> But we've got a great weekend of college football. Obviously, the, the rivalry is the game, and, and I still need to finish my analysis and put that out this afternoon. Damn you, Thanksgiving. You think I would have learned in year whatever three this is of doing a podcast. I need to do it, try to knock it out on Wednesday, but things oh, get yeah. chaotic. You know, kids don't have school and other stuff going on 
with my business ventures and all of a sudden mm-hmm. here we are friday we, we got to talk about the game yeah heck yeah dude so i hope you had a good thanksgiving i know it was probably pretty busy um but yesterday was a weird day in sports obviously um i, I you know took a seat and watched all the nfl games um the, all the weird stuff about matt and aggie in or out or whatever um i don't know about him and then uh Noah brown i wanted to mention he uh he he had like i think six or seven catches yesterday for the cowboys and that's a guy that i believe you coached right oh yeah yep he uh he was gonna have a day because all they had was Gallup, right? Amari's mm-hmm. out. Uh, what's his name? Oh my gosh, I can't. Um, Amari and uh and uh, CD Lamb. CD Lamb. I'm like, why is my mind dry on a blank? CD Lamb and Amari were out, so so Noah was gonna be, you know, at least in the rotation more so. And and Noah's secretly or quietly having a, a solid NFL career, and I knew he would. Um, he he's a really really good player, a very underappreciated player, very underutilized pressure, uh, player. Um, he, he's, a, he's another one of those players that got Ed Warnered, right? Mm-hmm. Like this, unfortunately his two years that really counted, um, he had Ed Warner calling the plays. And so, I mean, honestly, it was after the Oklahoma four touchdown performance, which was a mammoth man, that was a mammoth, mammoth and one mammoth. of the most forgotten games by an individual ever. I mean, he had, I mean, the reds, he, he ruled the red zone. It was unbelievable what he was doing. Unbelievable. unbelievable. And, and that was, uh. It was one of those days, and he could have had a lot more like that, but unfortunately, we, I mean, I'm not going to go, eh, whatever. It, it's, we, we had a horrible play caller, a quarterback that that was very average throwing the ball, and um, I take that back, was very averagely coached to throw the ball. Yeah. JT could throw very, very proficiently, um, but yeah, so Noah's killing it. I mean, what is it? He left in 2016, so year five, I think, mm-hmm. for him in, in the uh, in the NFL, which that, that's already outlasted almost you know 90 percent of draftable players um so he and, and he's and, it, and it's not and like and it's not like he's getting cut and bouncing around teams it's it's all five years have been with the cowboys i believe oh yeah no yeah he um I, i'll never forget uh i met with Derek dooley right who's who was the the long time head coach or not long time he was the head coach at tennessee one time and uh a legacy <laughs> a hire time. he was a really bad hire really bad coach but uh he was a receiver he was the receiver coach in dallas when they you know when that draft class was coming out and i met with him for a long time about noah and he even i mean he was saying he was like listen our personnel department really loves this kid because if if you don't remember noah broke his leg um it would have been the 2015 season yeah yeah, twenty going into the twenty fifteen season, Noah broke his leg, and um, it, it was I mean just devastating because he was having a training camp that was for for the ages, and that was going to be Michael Thomas's senior year uh, or last year, whatever you want to call it. And Noah, honest to God, coming out of training camp, like people would have would have looked at you and been like, I don't know which one of those two is is a more dominant player right now, Mike or Noah, because Noah was having that ridiculous of a training camp i mean just nuts and uh snapped his leg in half on a deep ball it was i mean it was similar to when braxton got hurt that's how mm-hmm. the energy was like the whole the air in the room all the, taken yeah, the out. whole like the, the whole woody hayes athletic center was just like somber right like you, people were walking around just like very visibly upset um that it happened and and then obviously it takes it takes a while to come back from that. And and Derek Dooley was the one that said, "Listen, we love this kid. I mean, he he his film was good. And an, an injury like that—that's a two-year injury. It's not a one-year injury. Mm-hmm. And um, so that's just the reality. I mean, as good as he was in 2016, I wish if if we would have had a different 
if we'd had a change at coordinator or a different coordinator, he certainly wouldn't have left early. Him and Curtis Samuel left early for one reason. Uh, Ed Warner was the coordinator, and they they didn't trust Urban <clears throat> to do anything because he, you know, I guess hired Ed Warner and then didn't fire him after 2015. <laughs> but um, side note about Noah Brown, side story, Chris, which I'm good for a side, one side story, an episode. No, I love that's three why I'm here. Um, this is why I love Noah Brown because he he's one of those coaches that are as real as they come or coaches, one of those players that is as real as they come, right? Like you can, I, co I could coach him very hard, but it, it all had to be, I mean, it all had to be accurate. It all had to be on point. It all had to be respectful, but then I could coach him hard, right? Mm -hmm. Like if I, if I went at him sideways about something and I was wrong, he was the type of player who was going to let you know, you know what I mean? <laughs> Respectfully, but he wasn't going to take shit from you for no fucking reason. He's like, he looked at it like I'm a grown ass man, whatever. Well, Ed Warner would go on uh like i don't even know rants like psychotic rants right during practice if things weren't going well especially in scrimmage situations because he's calling plays and if it's you know if he can't call a play or the plays aren't looking good the offense isn't looking good he would freak the fuck out right like freak out uh in practice so we're in in the indoor in bowl prep and ed is trying to call plays and he can't spit out the plays and he finally and urban's like honestly making it worse because he's like Let's Ed call it. Go call it. Just screaming at him. <coughs> and um, so Ed's freaking out, like like stress and anxiety on another level. <laughs> he calls a play. Um, they they end up, I think there's a false start, and then the ball snapped over JT's head. Like it just just I mean, chaos. Like the just bad compounding news issues. times a hundred, right? So he starts freaking out, and there's a bunch of players right behind him, like watching practice, like waiting to get subbed in. Well, they got too close to him, he felt like, right? So he started just screaming at the players, like, get the fuck back. Ah! And he's push, like, pushing him back, <laughs> trying to get him back. And then he put his hand on Noah Brown to push him back. And Noah, like, almost broke his arm and slapped it off him. He said, hey, motherfucker, don't you ever put your fucking hands on me. <laughs> Let's and, go. And Ed, and Ed looked at him and was like, oh, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, I didn't, I, I didn't realize it was you. I didn't realize. It. Oh, I'm so sorry. Like, like completely back down like a little baby back bitch. And it was hilarious because I looked at Noah and I was like, I love how he said, like, I didn't realize it was you. Like, I, I'll push the shit out of another player, but not you, because you mm -hmm. might beat my ass. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yes. but, I guess you recognize the real deal. Right. And and I can I can appreciate that in a player. Like, man, don't put your hands on me. I don't care. What's, what's the problem? You can't call jet, 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 two, <laughs> two, uh, 12 zone. Like, come on, man. Give me a break. Oh, that's a great Noah Brown story. I'm really glad he's sticking in the league. Um, he, I mean, behind the scenes, quietly, you know, heard nothing but but really positive things about him in terms of like, you know, showing him for work every day. And as a receiver, you know, it's not always always fun if you're not getting the, the run and the targets and all that. But he did have six catches yesterday, nine targets, um, was on the field a lot. And honestly, uh, they probably win that game if Dak Prescott doesn't throw that ball that far behind him. Uh, for those of you who yeah, don't get game. me started. Don't kill my parlay. I put my parlay out yesterday. I mean, killed it. I mean, just killed it. I don't even have anything else to say. We should be sitting right now saying, all right, Buckeyes win, and we're going to make 300 bucks. But nope. Sitting pretty, but uh, but uh, Dak Prescott had uh, other plans. And, I, you know, I thought for sure, especially when, when Darren Waller leaves that game, that it's like, okay, like this one should be uh, – this one should be – The NFL go. never makes sense, right? John Gruden gets fired, and Darren Wallen's out of the game. Like, no coach. Like, it's just like – a college team would be decimated. Like th that would be a, a 14 point win for the other team. But in the NFL, yeah. it's like, it's almost like when they have a storyline like that, the opposite is going to happen. Like, <laughs> Oh, the, everyone died on the Raiders team. Oh yeah. They're going to win for sure. <laughs>
<laughs> it's like I, I I never thought Hunter Renfro could be a true number one receiver, and last night Wait, he was a number one. Man, what are we talking about? I, I like I really like Hunter Renfro. I liked him in college, mm-hmm. but like a number one receiver, Hunter Renfro, absurd. I mean, I I don't know. I I I don't know. I, I it makes me think I don't know anything about evaluating players at all because Hunter Renfro is now the number one receiver on that team. Um, finished with eight one thirty four. I do want to circle back though to college football because uh, that's kind of what we're here to do. It is rivalry weekend. One of the interesting stats from the day: um, nine and two Iowa is playing three and eight Nebraska, and three and eight Nebraska is the favorite. Yeah. Explain that. Well, I mean, I, th- I think Nebraska is a better football team, as as weird as that is to say. But you you look at their losses, right? You say, the, the bad loss was Illinois week one. Terrible mm-hmm. loss. Then they lose by, what, seven points to Oklahoma, who's like the world beater, best team ever to live. <laughs> um, three points to Michigan State, right? Three points to Michigan. Seven points to Minnesota. Five points to Purdue. Um, and they played Ohio State close. With, what, like a nine-point yeah, Nine-point game. 26-17. Seven I mean, this is... Nebraska is a is the maybe the best three and eight team in the history of college football. It's just the reality of it. They they are they are really good now. And I think as sad as this is, I, I don't I don't I don't think Adrian Martinez is going to play. So that might be why they're the favored because <laughs> they're like, oh shit! Like there's been a Martinez at quarterback for Nebraska for the last like seven years, seventy years. Yeah, it yeah. was Adrian. And then what was the other one's name? Oh, T Magic. Yeah, yeah. The magic was the man, but he couldn't win games. Um, <laughs> but it's, it, so I, I think it's it's twofold. I think Nebraska's far better than their record. They're at home, um, and, and then Iowa, I think, is a very inflated team. I said it early in the year, and we kind of stopped talking about Iowa after they lost. But Iowa was a team that if you just don't throw the ball to their defense, they're easy to beat. They're not a great team. But they they just their secondary was playing extremely well, and teams were gifting them possessions. I mean, they led the country in interceptions after like four weeks. And then I think it was Purdue was the first one. Who, who uh, was it? Purdue? I can't even remember now. But whoever their first their first loss was yeah Purdue. They mm-hmm. they uh, they just didn't throw a pick. Purdue. That's all they had to do. Purdue just didn't throw an interception. And then Iowa couldn't score on offense. They their defense. I mean, got carved up a little bit, and they just. They couldn't win the game. And then yeah. sure enough, the next week, Wisconsin, same thing. So I think Nebraska's a better team, and I think um, Iowa's been riding or was riding that 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 defense that creates turnovers. And, well, and, and, can- and there was some early fool's gold with, uh, with Iowa. Because remember, at the time they played Indiana, Indiana was ranked 17th in the country, and they won that game. And yeah. then um, they played Iowa State, and Iowa State was in the top 10 at the time, and they beat them. Um, and so there was some early fool's gold. Um, and then obviously uh, the, the they beat Penn State, but Penn State had a back and quarterback in, and their offense was not competent at all. And so there was the, the, the those moments of fool's gold. And you're right, as long as you don't throw the ball to them, um, they were able to. I mean, teams were able to move the ball on them just fine. The yep. issue was kind of finishing drives. So it, it is it is interesting because Nebraska is one of those teams that no matter what, they will find a way to lose the game. Um, or they'll get so, so close, and maybe it's because of Martinez. Maybe it's because of Scott Frost. I don't know. I do think they're a good football team. I think they're a more talented football team, and I went back through their recruitings and, and kind of like how they've been able to compound, quote-unquote, talent, and they they have more talent than Iowa on, on paper. So it is it is interesting to see. I just am not used to seeing that. And to your point about three and eight teams, they have the highest SP rating out of every uh, three-win team ever. 
So there you they go. are they are the best three win team ever. If you look at the analytics, and you know, if you uh, stick around here, we love the analytics. Oh yeah. Also, additionally, um, things that I'm going to be kind of have circled and I'm, that I'm um, going to be paying pretty close attention to. Obviously, I want to see Cincinnati. I think they can um, kind of lock things up or come close to locking things up if they dominate this week. I don't think they have to dominate that dominate next week. I don't think there'll be any conversation as long as they win out. Um, but winning by more than 14 against ECU today, I think is important for them. Yeah. Um, it, it seems to me that the number 25 team in all these uh, college football rankings, they always manage to sneak in a um, an SEC team. Arkansas is playing Missouri. Um, I am curious to see how that one goes. And if Arkansas looks the part or if they really just got up and played their very best against Alabama. And I do want to switch gears, Zach. Did you see that um, that Nick Saban rant? Oh, yeah. I put it on my show yesterday. Dude, I, I someone quoted it and said like that it's all over, that that it's over for Georgia because Saban is going full <laughs> Saban mode. Uh, so, so Georgia better watch out. Um, I do see um, Texas Tech is playing Baylor. Yep. And for and I, I do kind of have this game circled. Texas Tech late in the year, every year to me, seems to be a little bit of a trap game. Um, and Baylor is one of those teams that maybe is could be looking ahead because they do potentially have bigger things to come, obviously, as a top eight team hoping to play for the uh, the Big Tech, Big 12 title game. And then Alabama-Auburn. Does Bo Nix have any shot at beating Alabama? Well, first of all, Bo Nix broke his ankle. So oh, I'm tripping. He, he didn't even play last week, but it's still it's still a a great a great question um, because I mean it's at Jordan Hare Stadium, it's on the road, and Nick Saban in that rant made a great point. Like though, when a team loses two or three games, or like if things aren't going their way, like that doesn't mean that they're awful, right? It it it, it honestly is like uh, kind of a bad omen for a, for a really good football team like Alabama because everyone is, has Alabama's. Alabama has a target on their back. No matter who they play, they will for a long time, unless they have like five years where they're just fucking god awful. Mm -hmm. um, they will have a target on their back because everyone is going to give Bama their best shot. And it was that way when I was at Florida with Urban. It was that, that way at Ohio State with Urban when I was there. Um, both of those places, you just got everyone's best shot. Like you knew that what you watched on film was going to be very different from the team that you played on Saturday, and that was just reality, right? It was it was every team too: Purdue, Iowa. Maryland, you name it. We would go into a game and you'd be in the probably like mid first quarter, like, fuck. Like, <laughs> did they get that much better? Are they playing right. that much harder? Like, and even in blowouts, you're like, this team is way better than the team we watched on film because that's the reality. You get their best shot. And not only that, but Auburn is talented. Like, they have a lot of talented players, a lot of highly ranked recruits. Like, it's not that they don't have good players, that's never the issue. And especially rolling off of three straight losses, this is a chance for them to I don't know be relevant be in the headline right and and, and I don't I don't think TJ Finley the, the quarterback that has replaced Bo Nix is a great player but you you can't go wrong without Bo Nix mm -hmm. <laughs> so um it, and it's at home and crazier things have happened this is the the this is what rivalry week is all about right a, a five loss Auburn team could upset Alabama and you know and their title hopes <laughs> they could and um so I don't, TJ, I don't, Finley's, it, TJ Finley's definitely interesting. He's he's a really imposing figure. Um, and we've seen kind of I, I think that Auburn is a you know, correct me if I'm wrong. I think Auburn is a better team than LSU. And I think um that their best shot paired with some things getting weird, I think that this game could be a lot closer than people think. 
Yeah, there's no doubt. Uh, I mean, it, it definitely could be. I don't think it will be, but but uh, it it has the makings. It's rivalry week. It's it's on the road. It's at Auburn. Um, and the the other side note is Alabama's already punched their ticket to Atlanta, right? Even if mm-hmm. they lose this game, they'll tie with Ole Miss, who they beat. So Alabama's. I mean, Alabama is. I don't think Nick Saban would ever allow Alabama to look past anyone, especially after the rant he went on. Yeah, and, you're right. And, that rant was serious. They're going to blow them out. And so you already know that. Here's the funny thing about coaches. I used to hear Urban on his radio shows and, you know, all that stuff. The the stuff they're regurgitating in those radio shows, call-in shows, inter, uh, interviews, like, they don't prepare for that, right? They don't prepare for their call-in show at all. So what they start saying, the speeches they give and the responses they give, that is what they're telling their team because they don't have time to create another narrative for the public, right? Mm-hmm. And so what that whole narrative, that whole whole rant that Nick Saban went went on, I guarantee you his team heard that five times this week or <laughs> or some variation of that. So you got a you got a glimpse into what what his approach is to this his football team. And so that just tells you right there I I highly doubt that they have a bad week, a letdown week, because they know these teams are talented. I mean, right now, certainly Auburn is embarrassed, right? Sitting at six and five, three straight losses. Uh, and so they're out for blood and and Alabama knows that. So I think Alabama is too talented and I think they roll. I got a question about quarterbacks. Um, is TJ Finley the biggest quarterback in the SEC the last like 15 years? He's six, seven, 246. Uh, that's, that's a very large human. That is that is a that sounds like a that'd be big for a defensive end, Zach. Yeah, that's that's a monster child. So there's probably the, let's think about the biggest quarterbacks I've ever. Jared Lorenzen at, at, at Kentucky when uh-huh. I was there is was a f- huge human. Rest in peace. And um, Jamarcus Russell, I think, was the biggest human being I've ever seen throw a football. Yeah, uh, I think he, he, was he like six six three hundred. I mean, I don't know. He looked like 300. I don't know if he was 300, but we we went. I'll never forget it. We went on the field pregame, and he had just uh, he didn't have shoulder pads on, didn't have a helmet on, just had his football pants, and he's sitting there warming up, just flicking the ball 70 yards like nothing. And I looked over, and I'm like, you know, no homo, but from the waist down, he had the biggest ass and biggest thighs I've ever seen on someone that was not an offensive lineman. I was like, somebody call somebody call Mel Kiper. I'm just saying, yeah, I looked, I'm looking at him like, what the fuck? What is that? Like, he looked like a, an offensive guard or offensive tackle from the waist down. And I'm, <laughs> I mean, he ended up becoming a fat human, but he wasn't fat at the time. Um, so, yeah, that is a big quarterback. So, when, when Jamarcus left LSU, uh, he weighed, he was 6'6, 260. So, TJ Finley is, uh, is a little bit taller than that. And, uh, just one of the, one of the really, I mean, it's, it's going to, I'm sure the broadcast is going to make about 37 remarks about uh, how large TJ Finley is um, on, sure. on Saturday's game, uh, but I, I, I am I am looking forward to that. I'm not sure uh, how how competitive it will be, given the fact that Nick Saban is in full Saban mode. And they're kind of moving forward. Oregon Oregon State is yep. Oregon Oregon State Oregon is a seven point favorite, but they are kind of irrelevant after getting absolutely boat raced by Utah, which you called, and uh, I I thought it was going to be closer than that, but um, they got absolutely rocked. And then, obviously, uh, Notre Dame, Stanford. I, I think Notre Dame should take care of them and kind of sneak their way back in. And then Ohio State, Michigan, which we are going to touch on because obviously that's what we're here to do. I do have a, a, a you were talking about, you know, teams getting other teams' best shots, mm-hmm. and I think um, that has happened this year in a sense. And maybe that team that's getting everybody's best shot 
um, is a little bit weaker than usual. And because of that, they've lost more than we're used to seeing. Clemson is a team that is going to get everybody's best shot. And they were a little bit vulnerable and ended up losing a lot of games because of that, because they were getting everybody's best shot. And now it's going to be a tougher climb for them to where I think they are better than some teams, like obviously like Wake Forest. But Wake Forest isn't a team that's going to get everybody's best shot week in and week out. Um, so I think that is a really interesting point. And, and mm-hmm. I am curious to see how Clemson kind of bounces back moving forward, because obviously Clemson's not going to be a bad team year in and year out. No, they'll bounce back. Um, it just that the quarterback needs to get better. They need to. They, they got some issues to fix, um, and and that's it's actually normal most places. Like what Ohio State and Alabama do is very bizarre. It really is. I mean, you look at Georgia. Georgia has been a solid program since. I mean, they lost to to Tua Tungavailoa his freshman year in the national championship game. I mean, but still, every you know every year is not a guarantee for 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 Georgia. Where whereas it is a, pretty much a guarantee for Alabama and Ohio State that they will be in the playoffs. Like they will be a one loss team max. And uh, right. at the end of the year and right there sitting, waiting for the playoffs. Um, and, and Clemson is finally having a, a reality check year where, cause that Clemson was in that same conversation. They finally have a, da- are having a down year and uh, they're far talented enough to bounce back from it. Yeah. Um, they just got to get DJ Uyunglele comfortable. They got to really develop him and, and, you know, make him into a great quarterback because right now he looks just awful. Mm-hmm. And honestly, I thought for Clemson, their kind of fallback year would be not this year, but next year, because this year, I mean, they returned a a 10 out of their 11 defensive starters. And the only one they didn't return was the DK kid that ended up going to play for Georgia. Um, So I thought, but defensively, they've been really good. I didn't think they would take this big of a step back offensively because last year against Notre Dame, I mean, we saw DJ Uyunglele throw for 400 plus yards. And so I thought that, that, yeah, he looked really, really incredible. Um, And we talked about it on one of our first shows we did. Did was the fact that the quarterback uh, coach at Clemson seems to be messing some things up because guys are not getting better. Instead, they are regressing um, when they get to town. And that is uh, that is an issue that obviously needs to get fixed if they want to kind of be like the Alabamas, the Ohio States of the world, or even well, Oklahomas of the world. And I even, I've talked about it before, but the, the difference is you look at, and I don't know Oklahoma staff as well. I know Lincoln Riley a little bit, but, but, the way that Alabama operates and the way that Ohio State operates is it's it's all about um, you know second to none coaching, right? An, an elite level of coaching, instruction, development, skill development. I mean, it's it's all about development. The program is built on development. Clemson doesn't have a coaching staff like Ohio State or Alabama. Like they don't they don't have experts at positions. They never have. They have good old country boys that are all G shucks. Like, well, shit, we got to kick him in the dick and go harder, like that type of shit. And you're like, what? What the fuck does that mean? Like, t- t- tell me about it, the the right tackle's right hand placement on a down block. Like, tell me about where, like, where, where's his aiming point? Is it the inside via the neck, or is it you know the 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 inside via the shoulder? Like, you, you're talking very minute details that most. Not most, but these these higher end programs like Ohio State and Alabama, that like that's that's a legit conversation. What I just said, like I've had yeah. I've been a part of conversations where we're running power and the right tackle is gonna gonna double team block to the backside linebacker, and we'll talk for an hour about what the aiming point is of that right tackle in that double team. Is he gonna aim for the inside via the, of the D lineman's neck, or is he gonna try to you know? aim cross face like long conversations about about literally six inches difference of of where where that lineman's going to aim 
right? His aiming point. I mean, you is- talked you talked about the chase um, when Urban Meyer was covering football, uh, the national title game, and he texted all you guys talking about. Oh, yeah. uh, the chase because the defensive line hand placement on certain uh, you know sets in, pre- in pregame in pregame mm-hmm. Alabama's defensive line in pregame he said was the most impressive thing he's seen in football because their hand placement was perfect every rep and uh, and he did he texted the whole group about it. he was he was like we are chasing Alabama right now and uh, we caught him we caught him you know two years later um, but yeah that, that's it's just it's just different and Clemson is not built like that they're not um, they they literally have a bunch of good good recruiters good dudes. Who are motivators? Like, like they understand football, you know, at a, I'll say, a graduate school level, not a PhD, and they just they get away with a lot of shit. Like Trevor Lawrence never got better at Clemson, and he was just he got a worse. great. No, he got worse. He got worse, and he he was just a great player. So that, I think that's the difference. That's why Clemson was fragile. That's why they were kind of a a house built in sand, and uh, that's why kind of you're seeing what you're seeing. Like Ohio State will never. Not, I don't want to say ever, but with the program the way it is right now, Ohio State's not going to lose four games. Like, it's just not going to happen. Yeah, I mean, Ohio State has about 10 wins penciled in because of their structure, uh, because of kind of how they attack everything. All right, now I want to talk about the game, Ohio State-Michigan. It's at the big house. It's been um, over, what, 700 days since we've played them. And uh, and it's time. Um, so first thing, you put up the uh, – the forecast for you, yeah. you know what it's going to be like in Ann Arbor, and you know we have a Cali kid playing quarterback. Does that concern you, CJ Stroud, playing in the cold in Ann Arbor? Take the crowd away. Just does it concern you, him in the cold? Yeah, yeah, it does. I think, and I've kind of talked about it all week, but he concerns me. Period, because uh, everything throw any adversity in, right? This is on the road, first time starting in the rivalry. Um, first time even be, playing in the rivalry, like whether yeah, starting probably, or first not. First time seeing the rivalry. Mm-hmm. He, he didn't even get to watch it last year because of, because Harbaugh ducked ducked that matchup. But um, thirty four degrees, 10, 10 mile per hour winds, snow on the ground. I mean, this is this is what Midwest Big Ten football fans are used to, right? This is what you see. You see a little snow on the ground. You see some Smash Mouth football. You see some toughness. You see badass Midwest teams battling it out in. The elements and CJ Stroud is a SoCal honey who's just out there, you know, flipping the ball around. Not, a, I'm not a running back, and so I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna be as negative as 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 I would like to be. But, but yeah, it's, I'm as far as yeah, very concerned, very concerned because it's hard to throw and catch in the snow and cold. You got to be a real tough dude and, and to do it. And so the good news is, is we're going to find out a lot about the, this team's capabilities, C.J. Stroud's capabilities, and not not capabilities. We know his capabilities. He's capable of anything. Uh, more about more. We'll find out kind of where he's at today, right? Where is where is he at today? Is he willing to scramble for a first down like Tom Brady, the worst athlete to ever play quarterback, did just this past game and go get a first down? Is he going to be able to to handle the elements, handle the adversity, handle the road, handle the rivalry? There's so many things we're going to find out. And so is it concerning? Fuck yeah, it's concerning. 34 degrees, 10 mile per hour winds, snow on the ground for a Southern California uh, pretty boy. Yeah. Yep. That's concerning. I mean, hopefully it's not going to be, hopefully he, he, you know, rises to the occasion and that's, that's what we're all looking for. It's going to be interesting because he he may well end up being um, the most scrutinized Heisman winner um, in, in a long, long time, at least kind of since I've, since I've been, paying very close attention to football and we're gonna we're gonna have to learn a lot because one thing that you and i both know is uh ryan day 
doesn't like to commit to that running game. Like he loves to throw the ball. He wants that ball thrown around. He wants the ball in the receiver's hands. And you can't really blame him too much, but he's going to refuse to run the ball. And and so with that being the case, CJ Stroud is going to have to drop back in the cold, maybe take a hit or two in the cold. And you know, taking hits in the cold hurts a little bit more than it does when it's warm outside. Oh yeah, it definitely, definitely doesn't feel good. <laughs> it definitely doesn't feel good, and I and I think, I mean, that, getting getting to Ryan and, and how he calls games. I mean, I, I don't think that's necessarily fair. I mean, outside of the, the Nebraska game okay. where he flipped it around fifty four times. I mean, he ran, we ran the ball forty three times against Michigan State and, and threw the ball forty three times. I think he's he's really aiming for that fifty fifty balance, and uh, it's just. When the run game's not working, sometimes he goes off the fucking deep end. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, well, I'll, I'll, I'll push, I'll push back a little bit uh, with you about that Michigan State game and kind of the, the balance and stuff because we were we were on pace to really out oh, yeah. like no, no balance at all on that side of things. And even if you go back, at least for me personally, what, what I when I go back and watch football, I mean that Northwestern game a year ago that we were in real danger of losing because we would not run the ball like just pass happy pass happy pass happy until he had no other choice than to uh to hand the ball to sermon and then sermon obviously is ripping off 10 11 12 per run then it's like okay um i, I think ryan day doesn't want to commit to the run i think a lot of that is because uh he is a, a quarterback guy and he obviously played quarterback um and like even like i think last week was it or was it two weeks ago the, the fourth and one call to uh to, they, not yeah not yeah. a run to garrett wilson the, the throw i think that he wants to air that ball out like like 60 times a game. I know he says he wants balance, but he will go off the deep end and he will abandon the run. For me, at least, it seems like pretty quickly. Yeah, I, I just think that's that's a little bit of a lack of confidence in, uh, in, in in the run game at times and the lack of their ability to make adjustments. And we've seen that. I've talked about it several times this year where the, the O-line kind of gets off uh, on their ID or off, you know, something is screwing them up, whether it's edge pressure, whether it's a twist and they just can't seem to fix it fast enough. And then he gets the the other issue that I've talked about a bunch is they, they're not, they're not a multiple run game system. Like a lot mm-hmm. of times, you know, zone beaters, if they run zone up front, every play, I mean, there's things defenses do that, that hurt zone blocking. Right. And it, that's why, in my opinion, you need to have a multiple run game system where you're running gap schemes, you're running zone schemes, you're running power, counter, stretch, um, tight zone. You need you need to have all of that to have an adequate rushing attack. And Ohio State doesn't have that. They run stretch zone and mid zone, basically, and that's it. That's it. Um, and I would challenge anyone to show me outside of maybe a clip or two in a game like when they run anything otherwise because they don't. A push sweep maybe to Garrett? Uh, that's about it. So I think it's that's – Maybe a, a lot of his issue. This is this is looking more like Oklahoma when Kevin Wilson was at Oklahoma um, than it does Urban Meyer as offense for for good and bad. Right? Um, I think the run game is far less dynamic with one of the best running backs I've I've ever seen, and and the throw game is I mean night night and day better. I mean Ryan's throw game is not even it's almost disrespectful to Ryan day as a person to even compare it to urban's offense. So I think that's just what it is. It's the pass game. So advanced, the run game is so, so, you know, elementary that, that when it's not working and it's not getting fixed, Ryan kind of goes to what he knows is, is second to none in the country. And that's his throw game. 
Yeah, well, it's like it's like default. What what is your coach default? And for Urban Meyer, it was the uh, the JT up the middle. And, and for Ryan Day, it seems to be uh, crossing patterns and 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 taking shots down the field. Um, I do want to ask because you know you're a receivers guy. Every single year, it feels like a new receiver kind of introducing themselves to the game and to Ohio State football. Obviously, we know about the Chris Olave. Uh, you know one of the, the best freshman performances ever by a receiver in that game oh, the, yeah. with the block punt and the two touchdown catches. And then the next year um, it, it was Garrett Wilson who uh, kind of came on and it was, and it was go time and he had a, had a hell of a game, had some big catches and obviously was on the other end of um, the Justin Fields. Uh, Welcome to the game moment. Um, last year didn't happen. It may have been Jackson Smith. It may have been um, Jameson Williams. I don't know. Uh, because Michigan obviously ducked us. Do you have a bold prediction on who it could be this year at the big house? Um, you know, I, I guess it depends if you want to count Jackson Smith and Jigba as a as a first timer. I mean, his first first time yeah, playing. It, this it, game. Is, it is his first time, so he can have it if you want to. Yeah, get I mean, I, he's the obvious choice. I mean, the, mm -hmm. with the way they rotate guys, I mean, it's. I think he's got a, a really advantageous matchup in the slot. I think Travion Henderson out of the backfield is also another another option for to make a, a huge impact in the throw game. Um, and then obviously, you know, the Garrett and Chris, they've they've been there, done that. I mean, mm -hmm. there, there won't be anything, you know, a, a, they haven't seen before. Yeah, it's not going to be anything new if they, they go off. So I think, you know, the obvious candidate is Jackson. And then, uh, you know, we'll see if Emeka Egbuka comes back from injury. He's a kid that I love that's a young talent that is just dynamic. Um, obviously didn't play against Michigan State, though. A little dinged up. So I, it's going to be interesting to see. Uh, I think I think that Jackson's the obvious pick because he's been just absolutely killing people in the slot. And it's, it helps. Helps when you're in the slot and you have two, two first-rounders on the outside. A lot of attention on the outside, leaving you kind of the third-best cover guy. Not a lot of attention. And that's why people that are like, well, we have three first-rounders at receiver. It's like, fucking relax. I mean, <laughs> the, kid, the kid might become a first-rounder, but he's also, like, gifted – Two for two legit first second rounders outside, and so he's got all of the mismatches inside. So let's let's see uh, let's see how he does down the stretch. Let's not jump jump out like Zach Harrison was going to be the next Chase Young. Like let's calm down. Guilty. Um, I am so sorry about that. I am guilty of that one. See, this is what I mean. It, it is what it is. But yeah, I'd say Jackson's the guy that that, that probably is going to have to pop for them to win this game. It's going to be an exciting game. I'm excited to talk about it uh, on the show this afternoon because mm -hmm. there, there's a lot of things that I'm seeing. As I study Michigan, that 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 I think this game is going to be a, a good game, but it's also uh, Ohio State has a lot of opportunities. Yeah, I'm not. I don't want to ask too many questions. I want to leave you to leave all that in your prediction for the big show. But uh, since I'm not a part of the big show, I'm going to say we get a Fleming game with multiple touchdowns. Don't know how he gets it, but Fleming with multiple touchdowns. Mm -hmm. And then um, I also I think the uh, the, the Tylee kid uh, inside gets multiple sacks. Tylenol, so my, my yeah, dude. <laughs> a monster in the cold. He might take somebody out, man. Um, so those are my bold predictions, and I think Ohio State went by 17 points. You're, you're going multiple touchdown game from Julian Fleming. Yeah. Who has seven catches on the year for 51 yards. Hey, how many catches did uh, did uh, Olave have going into that game? Uh, that's uh, a great question. He had that's two was the answer. I'm pretty sure someone is going to need to double check me on that because that's just my basic math going back. I believe he had two uh, he catches had going two, into that game. Four, six, uh, four going into that game. Four, four going two. into that game and then came out of the game with two touchdowns and a pump block. Fleming, back to back games with touchdowns, and I think it's going to be multiple. Um, uh, I know he's been in Parker Fleming's ear about returning kicks. And um, I know Emeka will be back there, but maybe if he gets one, you know, he could break one. He's 
the most unique athlete, I think, in that in that room. But yes, I have Fleming going for multiple touchdowns, and then I have Tylenol with multiple sacks. Those Love are my it. bold predictions. Ohio State by 17. Zach, do you have anything else today? Nope, that's it, man. I appreciate you. Cool. Take care. Eat lots of leftovers. Um, and Menace Nation will check in with you guys later today. Sounds like a plan. Menace out.
And this is the beginning of a new era in rap LL Cool J feel the impact It's okay if you call it a comeback And let them know I'm ready for combat Tell those dumb motherfuckers to fall back The crown looks wrong on your head, I want it's that It's time for war!